Well, for those of you who are used to sitting outside, uh, we really didn't know what to do to make it feel like a smoother transition. We thought about having people running through here pushing strollers and walking dogs. We thought of having bugs dropping from the trees. We had, had all kinds of ideas, sirens blaring. We thought, no, we'll just play it straight. We'll come into the, the sanctuary again. And it is really good to be back here. Uh, having two services now, uh, it gives people opportunity to be late to both of them. It's really a good thing uh, to be back in our groove. And uh, Why do we gather here at all? Uh, it's a good, good question to ask. Uh, it's always good to start w- w- understanding where you are, right? Why are we here? We're here because God came into the world to redeem it, to save it, to bring us back in a relationship with himself. God came into the wor- world personally. Uh, we know his name is Jesus, the Christ, Jesus Messiah. Uh, Hebrew name Yeshua. Uh, ben Yosef, right? Uh, Jesus, the son of Joseph, but really the son of God. Uh, he lived, he died, uh, he rose again from the dead. He gave instructions to his apostles. Uh, they were disciples, that is, people called together to learn from him. And then he promoted them to being apostles, people who were sent out in his name. Uh, and he sent them out under his authority. He said, you know, all authority has been given to me uh, in heaven and on earth. Uh, go and make other disciples among all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. And I will be with you always, to the very end of the age. He told that to his immediate disciples at that point, 11 of them. And then later, uh, he told them and and a larger group of people that uh, um, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, He also said to them, uh, you're going to go uh, and you're going to be my witnesses be in Jerusalem, beyond Jerusalem in the area uh, that we know as Israel, uh, Judea, southern Israel. Samaria, the area adjacent, we would know that area today as the West Bank, uh, a configuration of uh, communities that would be um, non-Jewish. And then he said to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what he was doing was launching this missional movement a movement of people going out in his name under his authority to tell other people about the good news of God. And so it's a marvelous thing. Uh, We call those people, when people go out in Jesus' name, when they go out of their house, when they go out of the state, when they go out of the country, we call them missionaries. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with that term, maybe you're not. Uh, Missionary. Why? Because they have a mission that they've they've embraced uh, and they want to fulfill it. And you can be a missionary anywhere. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We've been talking about uh, what season of life we're all in, you know. The seasons of life. What season are you in? Uh, Who are your your teammates? Uh, You know, what what do you need to to navigate this season of your life? And then today we're talking about, well, so what is your mission uh, within this season of life? Because everybody has a mission. Uh, everybody has a mission. You, you might say, well, uh, what if they're not a follower of Jesus? Everybody has a mission. You know, think about it. In our culture, we use the word mission every day. Our company's mission, your mission within this company, your mission in this platoon, in this squadron, uh, in this division, uh, our mission is this. In fact, within that mission, we often talk about evangelists. Apple has a mission and evangelists. Who knew? Right? An Apple evangelist. Every Apple store is, is, is filled with Apple evangelists doing their mission. So everybody has some version of a mission, something that, that makes your life make sense. 
and that you are passionate about, that, that these are the final things that you know, uh, I would never compromise. And these are the things I stand for. And when you provoke me enough, you'll see what my mission looks like in word and deed. Everybody has one. The question is, is yours rooted in Christ or is it rooted in you? Is it rooted in Christ or is it rooted in your culture? Is it rooted in Christ or is it rooted in your family tradition? All of that can be great, but if it's not rooted in Christ, you don't get the fullest impact of your mission. Because until our lives are, are centered in him, we're lacking the resources that he makes available to us. I mean, it goes without saying. If the God of the universe came into the world to bring us into a relationship with him, until we're in that relationship, we're, we're, we're not dealing with uh, all the resources available to us. Those are just out of reach. So this is what we're talking about today. And really, this is the, if you want to understand what this church is about, that's it. We see ourselves as a missional movement. Uh, we love our church as a church, La Jolla Community Church. We love the campus. Uh, that does not define us. This is a launching pad. This is something that we, we, we leverage uh, to be able to do our mission. We see our mission um, starting here as we prepare our hearts and minds to understand what our mission is in Christ, and then as we go out and fulfill it. So what comes to your mind? First, first point of the morning would be this, first big idea. When you hear the word mission or missionary, what comes to your mind? When you hear the, oh, I get a, okay. We've just identified the successor to the pastor of La Jolla Community <laughs> Church. That, MacArthur, that's right on. And, and I, I wish we had time for everybody to do that, because I think if you can articulate what that means to you, you get to own it. You get to actually experience it. Uh, and so when you hear that word mission missionary, is it a positive thing, right? For you it is. Is it a positive thing? Or if you mention it to your friends, hey, what do you think of when you hear the word missionary, uh, the mission movement uh, from a Christian perspective? What, do you, what comes to your mind? What do you think you might hear among your circle of friends? Um, missionaries get a bad rap. The mission movement gets a bad rap. Uh, their faults are amplified. Their contributions are muted. Ah, if only those missionaries had never come, everything would be great uh, here and wherever that here is. It was so awesome before they, they came here. But the missions movement was so positive uh, that you can't avoid the positive impacts of it. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, Kenya's first president, uh, post-independence, the British, in a sense, dominated East Africa. East Africa would be Kenya, Tanzania, uh, Malawi, etc. Uh, the British leave, um, and they, they turn over uh, independence to these once-occupied places. And so Kenya is one of those first places to be um, liberated. And their first president was a guy named Jomo Kenyatta. Um, he grew up as a child being exposed to the missional movement. Uh, some of his best mentors uh, were missionaries. Some of his best opportunities came through missionaries looking out for him. But when he became president, uh, he described the British missionaries this way. He said, when the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. The missionaries taught us to pray with our eyes closed. And when we opened our eyes, we had the Bible and they had the land. Very clever, um, but not true. Very clever, but not true. And what was his strategy? His strategy was, this country has been so transformed by this missional impact. To this day, you, you, you can't go to Kenya and not bump up into people who say, but for the Lord, I don't know what my life would mean. I'm a proud Kenyan, but my life in Christ gives my life meaning and purpose. 
Very powerful. A clever but inaccurate obfuscation of mission and colonization. An obfuscation of the mission movement and the, and the colonial uh, Im, Im, um, impact. Uh, missionaries weren't doing colonial work, but kingdom work. Kingdom of God work. And Kenyatta knew this. In fact, he admitted, you know, my family, my children have all benefited from the missional movement. But there's things he didn't like about it, which rightly so. Um, the boundaries between God's kingdom and the United Kingdom were often blurred. Is this good for the UK? It's good for Kenya. The irony, of course, was that the missionaries were caught in the crosshairs of that. Um, the missionaries weren't perfect, but they weren't the problem. The missionaries were there to announce the kingdom of God and proclaim good news, freedom to the captives. God's favor poured out on a people. And so the missionaries stood with and for the people against all forms of exploitation. So the missionaries became a, more of a problem to the, the government than to the people of Kenya. Uh, in our state, uh, Junipero Serra gets a very big, bad rap about the mission system. Uh, you, you, you can't get away from it in our media and, and the pundits that you hear constantly talking about how horrible that was. If their high school called Junipero Serra, high school changed the name, let's discount the mission movement. It was horrible. It was the oppression of people, which is completely an obfuscation, a distortion of what the mission movement was. Uh, the colonization of, of Baja Alta and Baja Norte uh, was a governmental thing. And the missionaries, like many missionaries in many places, came in behind saying, okay, what can we do to offer people something better than what the government, through these soldiers, and these miners and these settlers want to offer them. Interesting enough that, that Junipero Serra was a very successful professor of, of philosophy and theology on the island of Mallorca. He had a pretty good gig. He was popular, he lived a very comfortable life, and in midlife he said, I just had this sense that I'm, I'm playing it safe and my mission is more than simply teaching smart people how to be smarter and to articulate it better. So he went as a missionary. He requested to go as a missionary, as an older person, uh, and, and, and came alongside what was then already established in Mexico City and then moved north. And he was the one who was tasked with replacing somebody. Uh, the Jesuits were kicked out of California, and so he was allowed to <clears throat> come in and lead that. And he said, I want to do things a bit differently. Um, I, I want to lead in a way that people would simply hear this from me, that I'm here to tell you the good news of Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, because of some of the irregularities, uh, both with the government, the missional movement became a very easy target. The Kumeyaay, uh, a band of Indians here in San Diego, led a revolt. They killed one of the priests. Uh, the government wanted to wipe out everybody. And he said, no, 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 no. And he wouldn't let that happen. And he said, by the way, if I'm killed in an uprising, forgive the people who kill me and demonstrate you know, Christian charity. Uh, he was fastidious in his desire to honor and bless people. Now, if we take some time to think about it, we'd say, but of course these people were flawed. They, they did have sort of a paternalistic view. Of course, like 100% of the people in the world at their day. Paternalism just means I know what's best for you better than you know what's best for you. Uh, we, have, we, we vote every four years or so to bring in people who will serve the people who end up being paternalistic toward the people. This is what you really need. You just didn't know it. We don't mind it when Apple does it. We don't like it when a government does it. 
And so the, the people in California didn't like the fact that the Spanish government was telling them what to do. And so there's big conflict. And so it's a very complicated thing to examine the missional movement anywhere in the world, uh, and particularly in California. Why am I taking the time to talk about this? Because these are the kinds of stories and narratives that become so commonplace that we assume that they're true. And what they do is they taint anything that might be missional. How dare you be missional? If you ever saw that amazing movie called The Mission with Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, based on a true story. And of course, it's the conquistadors that are oppressing the people. It's the missionaries who are in the way. And this has been the historic pattern, that the missionaries have stood with the people. Uh, They have made sure that the people weren't being exploited. And the hallmark of the missions movement wasn't paternalism, it was discipleship. And whatever flaws came with that, it, were the, it, were, it was simply the flaws of human beings doing anything. If, if we had unflawed human beings, none of us would be ever eligible to do anything. And when I hear a person being a pundit about anything, a critic about anything, I always want to ask them, what would you feel like if you had a pack of people following you around every day, taking apart everything you say and do? How would you measure up? None of us would measure up. We'd all wither. And this becomes a very important issue. Because the mission organizations themselves are aware of this and are doing their best to train people properly and to hold them accountable. And why don't, why don't just churches everywhere just roll, roll it up and go away? Well, because the mission movement can't be contained. Why? Because most missionaries nowadays come from countries outside of the United States and Europe. <laughs> There's a mission movement more robust than ever. It's not coming out of the United States. It's not coming out of uh, Europe. It's coming out of uh, all the countries uh, that would be south and east. There are people right now in South Korea praying, where, Lord, would you send me to be a missionary to the uttermost parts of the earth? I don't know, La Jolla, maybe. Davenport, Iowa, maybe, wherever. So this missional movement uh, will not go away. Why? Because all things and in heaven and on earth are under the authority of Jesus. He works with flawed people to reach flawed people. And somewhere in the midst of that, there's transformation that touches everything in society. As I stand here today, Uhuru Kenyatta, the third president of Kenya, the second being worse than Jomo, a complete dictator, a totalitarian. Uhuru Kenyatta is, is unabashed in talking about his faith in Christ. Uh, he's a very much alive Catholic Christian in a primarily Protestant uh, Christian environment. Uh, and, and he stands not just as a person using religion as a ploy, as a tool. He says, you know, what, what are we but for people who trust in God? That's a secular government. Ours is a secular government. But don't you want the leaders to be saying, hey, what would God have us do? So this is what a missionary is all about. Not being paternalistic and telling you what you should do. It's saying, this is what God is telling me to do, and I'd like to invite you to be part of it. So they practiced rigorous self-examination regarding their motives. They kept asking themselves, well, am I serving God or serving myself? Think about that. Shouldn't we all ask that question? Am I serving God or am I serving myself? Am I serving God's purposes or am I serving mine? Every church has to ask that question. Why? Because churches are prone to being self-promoting and about self-preservation. What do we do to survive? Really? Are you kidding me? That's, all the, that's the best question you can ask. What do we do to promote? When churches often invite people to come to things, they're saying, come to my thing. When a church is real live, they say, where do we go to reach people where they are 
and try to figure out what God is doing among them that we can be a part of. All believers, then, need a personal mission within God's mission, and we need to know how to articulate it. Otherwise, we will be caught up in our own agenda, our own purposes, our own plans, and we'll be part of that flawed aspect of the missional movement. I'm here to do my thing at your expense. I'm here to mug you in the name of Jesus. But when we come and build those relational bridges in the name of Christ and say, taste and see that the Lord is good, we put ourselves in a place where God can actually work in us and through us to move people, to motivate them to maybe take a second look or first look. And I wish I had time to just recount for you all the impact of the mission movement besides orphanages. The first orphanage we know about uh, was started in Florence. People could bring their babies, unwanted babies, and put them on a turntable, a big wooden turntable. They'd ring a bell, they'd go away, and the priests would, or the nuns, depending on who was manning it, they would rotate this turntable and take the baby. There's a pastor in Korea doing that to this day. Girls and, and disabled children uh, were often um, not allowed to live. And he said, give me your children. The girls that you don't want and the disabled children you don't want, the babies you don't want. And so he set up a turntable in front of his house. He had a little, a little drop box with a bell. A kid at USC was uh, in the film school. Uh, Brian is his name. Not a believer, but he read this in the LA Times about this guy, and he called him up and said, hey, I, want to do, I, have to, I need to do student films. I'd like to do a documentary on you. Could I? The guy said, well, sure. Come to Korea. So for the next couple of years, Brian spends lots of time with this guy. And says, why do you do this? And he said, it, it's the love of God has given me this mission. And I don't have to do it. I want to do it. I can't imagine doing anything else. Well, it was so moving to Brian. Brian became a follower of Jesus, made the film, won $100,000 at a film festival. When he received the money at this film festival uh, that was in Austin, Texas, he, he stood up and said, you know, my whole, my whole goal was uh, to make uh, movies like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. I wanted to be a filthy, rich, big deal filmmaking director. And I was so close. But now I'm so full of life, I can't imagine doing anything but what I'm doing. So he's making things for Netflix. He's, he's doing all kinds of interesting projects, but every project he does has some element of a redemptive component. Those dear people in the church that were, were slaughtered by the young man who went in and killed them during a Bible study, he's making a film about that. He's now old. He's about 28. My point is this. It's, it's a missional movement. He's asking himself the question, what's God put in my hands? What should I do with it? There are people who practice law and say, hey, my, my gig is, is, is a, as an attorney. I do it righteously, but my mission is I, I work with Young Life. I'm, I'm on the committee of Young Life, or I, I do this or I do that. I'm part of my church. So my point is this. Until you have that personal sense of mission and you can articulate it, you won't really quite know what it looks like in your life. You'll be frustrated. You'll say, I don't really know what to do. God, just tell me. So that's what I want to finish up the, 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 the message with, the next two points. Second one would be this then. Our mission must always be about joining God in his mission in the world. God is already at work in the world. We're not the first one there. Even if you show up where nobody professes Christ, the Holy Spirit has been present there. And finally, he sent you. And you're going to show up and find out that these people have already been thinking about God in some way or shape or form. 
They might not have connected it with Jesus. They might not know anything about Israel. They might not know anything about the Bible. But they have a hunger for God. Everybody does. They might be the most vicious people on the planet. Uh, five men in 1954, all from Wheaton College, graduated from Wheaton, one of whom was a pilot, uh, went down into the uh, Ecuadorian jungle to meet a vicious tribe. Uh, and they're called, um, uh, they, they don't use the name of the tribe anymore because all it means is vicious people. And so they, they have another name for them. They went down there and they, they, they made contact with the people little by little by little through different, they dropped things, they would make contacts just so that people kind of understood what was going on. They finally land <clears throat> and they, they're in this area, where, wide open area where they could land this plane and there's a river. And as they're meeting with the people, some, some warriors come out of the, of the jungle and slaughter them. It's horrible. Time magazine, Life magazine, all the big magazines of the day had this front page. The United States was in an uproar about it. But the family said, look, don't overreact to this. These men went in, uh, on their own. And one of them was named Jim Elliott. He said, you know, who, you know who's the bigger fool? The person who tries to, tries to hold on to what they can't hold on to, what they can't keep, or the person who gives away what they can't, all, can't hold on to and receives life in all its fullness. They, you know, he says it really more eloquently, but that's the gist of it. Well, so the families stay in touch with these tribes and, the, and, and this tribe and the related tribes. And over the years, these people respond to Christ to the point that the children of the men who were slaughtered, now adults, some in the States, one of them is very much involved down there, are adopted by the family. One of the men who killed his father uh, baptized Steve Saint. He's the, the, the next pilot in the family. And they write a book, and they do a documentary. And at one point, they're talking to these people now, older. They'd be, in their, they'd be old for their, their, our, gener, our, you know, our, our culture, but really old for theirs. So these are people like in their 70s and 80s, and they're talking about that, that experience. And they were talking about it all happened because there were some internal conflicts in the, in the village, and they took it out on these missionaries. There was a love triangle going on. There's all this crazy stuff, you know, human stuff. And, and, and this woman and, and a man both said, but we knew we'd done something wrong when we saw the people in the trees. And Steve says, like, you saw people in the trees? Yeah, we heard this incredible music like we never heard before. And they don't have music in this culture. They, they were trying to describe it. And, and it's like that music you guys play. And they had some really beautiful kind of music, kind of you know, background, beautiful ambient music playing. They said, yeah, we heard this music, and we saw the people in the trees. And we knew we'd done something wrong. And of course, now, as very mature followers of Jesus, they said, we now would understand who the people in the trees were. These were people representing the kingdom of God. This was the kingdom of God. The heavenly host is present in that horrible place. So the missional movement is so profound uh, why waste time critiquing it? Why not say, Lord, can I join you in it? And what would it look like for me to join you? But we naturally ask this question, where does God fit in the big story of my life? Where can God possibly fit in the big story of my life? That's our natural question. But here's a question we come to learn to ask in Christ. Where does my small life fit in the big story of God's mission? Not minimizing our life. We, our life is so valuable to God that he gave himself for us. But instead of saying, uh, saying, my big, important life, we say, the life that I'm trying to understand, what does it fit in the story, the big story of God's mission? 
Because the story of God accomplishing his mission is the point and plot of the Bible. You cannot understand the Bible but for understanding that it's God's mission. It's not a story of people in mission. It's a story of God in mission, inviting people to join him. And when people fail, it's ugly. You see this in the history of Israel. When the people rebel against God, it's ugly. Captivity. You see it in in the human missionaries that have gone out for for, thousands of years. Some got it right, some didn't. Uh, Cyril and his, his brother felt led to Russia. Oh, they noticed that Russians didn't have a written language. They came up with an alphabet. It's called the Cyrillic alphabet, named after Cyril. And they brought the gospel to Russia to this day. You say, yeah, people bless them for coming. Other people say, I had a bad experience with the missionaries. But that's not necessarily the missional movement. The missional movement is God's mission in the world. So the Bible only makes sense in the context of God's mission, not ours. His mission, thankfully, includes us. We have a role to play and a contribution to make. Why? Because God chooses to work through people to achieve his mission. Why? I don't know. He's just chosen to do it that way. Uh, one time, uh, when I was a pastor, uh, <clears throat> first, we first came to La Jolla, I, I had been preaching, and the, uh, the church was growing and thriving. It was just a great season of life. And I'm standing out there talking to these people, and somebody came up and said, um, hey, uh, we're visiting, and I was really glad to be here. And, and they were a dating couple, and, and this woman who was with the guy said, you look so familiar to me. I went to high school, Will Glenn High School, with a guy named Steve Murray. <laughs> so, and I started laughing. I said, I think I'm that Steve Murray. She goes, no way. There's no way you're a pastor. <laughs> I said, I know. I feel the same way. I said, God has a sense of humor, you know. See, this is the whole point is that God brings us to a place where all of a sudden we're doing things we never thought we would do. I was at a dinner party this week, and um, about four or five couples, and um, we were about to eat, and, and, one, and one of the women said, can I pray? And so we all take hands, and this woman prays the most beautiful, pastoral, missional, fun. I mean, it was like an awesome prayer just out of her heart, and it was completely theologically coherent. It was just a profound, profoundly deep prayer that united the whole table, and I thought, oh my gosh, when I first met this woman, she didn't have a faith in Christ. It wasn't me who made the difference. It was all the things God has been doing in her life for the last, I don't know, uh, 16, 17 years. I thought, that's what it is. And, and, and where this woman lives now, uh, she and her husband are like missionaries. They wouldn't call themselves that. They don't have a business card that says that. But they functionally are missionaries. And they've connected with other believers. And they're connected with people who aren't believers. And it's just powerful. See, this is the missional movement. What's your place in it? Can you articulate your particular sense of mission within the larger mission of God? The one that fits you because it reflects how God's been working in you. His mission includes us. We have a role to play, a contribution to make. That's why we need a clear sense of God's mission and our part in it. If you're not doing the work, you're not doing the work. This is the most important work you can do. You'll be a better parent, a better spouse, a better colleague, a better citizen. You'll be better at everything. Why? Because you'll start seeing it from, ah, I see the, I see the singing people in the trees. And I know I'm in the presence of God. Well, let me just <clears throat> throw out one verse to you. It's Acts chapter 8, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can open it. If you have a phone, you can open it. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. 
And all, except the apostles, were scattered throughout, the, throughout Judea and Samaria. This is a crazy moment because the church has been ramping up. Thousands of people have been coming to know Christ. The, uh, there's been all this worship and teaching. The apostles are pouring themselves into all these people. They've organized all kinds of leaders within that. Um, and uh, uh, it's magnificent. Everybody's coming to them because everybody comes to Jerusalem. And at one point, one of the, the, the most articulate leaders named Stephen stands up and he's been brought before the authorities and give us an explanation. Why is this continuing? It's been going way too long. It's getting worse, bigger. And uh, uh, it used to be that you guys just took over a little part of the temple property. Now you're taking over the whole thing. And he said, well, here's what's going on. And he starts to talk about Jesus. And as he's talking, he has this vision of Christ. And he acknowledges the vision of Christ and they stone him to death. It's vicious. And a guy standing there with all the cloaks of the people around him as he's watching it. And it says at, at the very beginning of chapter 8, and Saul approved of what they did. Saul who became a missionary later. But the immediate aftermath of this was that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. An interesting thing. Why, why were all the people scattered but the apostles weren't. Why, weren't they just, why didn't they just kick the apostles out? And I was thinking about this this week, thinking, why, why, why? And I thought, well, yeah, that's why. It's that they thought if they kicked the people out, it would be so humiliating and so disruptive and so discouraging that these people would be the proverbial sheep without a shepherd and this whole movement would die. The people would be angry and resentful. Look at you, God has sent him. Forget Jesus. Look what they've done to my family. But instead, those people went out in Jesus' name. And wherever they landed, some went to Antioch and Syria. Some went to other parts of Israel. All of a sudden, there was this buzz about Jesus. These are Jesus-type people. Eventually started calling them Christians in Antioch. These are the Christian people, the people of Christos. The Christians. The people of Christ. And eventually then the church of Jerusalem said, hey, we need to send some people to go support them. And that's where Barnabas comes in. That's where Saul, now Paul, comes in. And they extend it further and further. If our church was disrupted and dispersed, would it matter? Or would the church generally expand wherever we went? In the case of this couple I was talking about who we got to spend some time with this week, they've moved from the mainland United States. They're offshore, far away, and they're making an impact in Jesus' name. It didn't crush them. It expanded their understanding of who they are in Christ. You see, the followers, now disciples, and now in turn apostles, embraced God's mission as their own because the apostles had faithfully proclaimed and taught and demonstrated the gospel for them. So that leads us to the third and final point. So what's your mission in this season of life? You can be 10 years old and have a mission. You can be 13 years old, you can be 15, you can be 20, you can be 85. Because what you'd say is, okay, I'm a kid, well, what's my mission? Well, part of my mission is to go to school and learn as much as I can. Part of my mission is to learn how to manage my own life, to be responsible. My parents are looking out for me, um, I've, get, I've got all these opportunities. What does it look like for me to start to understand what my faith looks like in every part of my life, as an athlete, as a student, as a kid having fun? 
when my friends are talking about things, do I have anything to offer that might correct some of the bad stuff they're talking about and affirm the good stuff I see in them? How do I become this presence where I find ways to, to bless people by simply saying, man, I, I just love being with you. You're a great guy. Here's what I like about you. I see this in you. That's a really a neat thing. Oh, that's, wow, nobody told me that before. Or, hey, that thing you wanted to do, you know, as I've been thinking about it, I, I, first of all, it's illegal to steal stuff, and I, I, I wouldn't want something to happen where you ruin your life. Don't do that. You see, also you start to not just tell people what to do patronizingly. What you start to do is to say, let me speak truth into your life just by being in your presence. Now, as we get older, we have more, more tools to do that. You have an influence wherever you go. You become the kid in the dorm who says, hey, maybe there's another way to look at this. We can have a great time without getting stoned out of our gourd. We can do some things that won't be destructive, won't undermine our character or our future. You can be the parent that says, yeah, I feel like throwing my kid out the window sometimes too, but here's what I'm learning about patience and how to become a person who can love like God loves me. Yeah, I've thought about leaving my, my husband, but no, or my wife. Now, here's why I'm, I'm, I'm remaining faithful. Here's why I'm, I'm submitting myself to, to learning how to be what she or he needs me to be, right? All of a sudden, you, you have these practical impacts by saying, this is part of my mission in life. And in the, along the way, you're having these, con- these conversations about who Christ is to you. So how do you get there? Now, the, this is a big question. What's your mission in the season of life? But it's a question answered by asking questions. Questions are powerful. Not to interrogate people. Where were you? What were you doing? Who are you with? Those are annoying, abusive questions. What does it mean to you? What are you experiencing? How do you feel about that? Are powerful questions to give people a chance to reflect and to think about who they are and to own their own experience and maybe connect to the fact that God is working in the midst of these experiences. So here's some questions. These are be, this be, these questions are, and answers are super important because they form both context and content. In the context of the life you actually live, you ask these questions. And what you do is you end up mining the treasure of content that you hadn't really thought about. What I think, what I feel, what God is doing in me, what I believe, what the implications are. So <clears throat> let, me, let me read this quickly. Faith in God questions. What do I believe about God? What difference does this belief make in my life? Or not in my life? What does God's kingdom mean to me functionally? What's my purpose in God's kingdom? What's my purpose in life? Do I have a theology that is enough content of scripture that guides me and sustains me. What is my theology? If I, if I was asked, what's your theology? Could I even know what that meant? Could I explain? Well, here's how I look at things. Here's how I look at economics. Here's how I look at human life. Here's how I look at history, whatever. How about self-awareness questions? Well, what season of life am I in? How am I experiencing it? I hate being old. I love being old. I hate being young. I, hate, I love being young. What, you know, what, what, are, what am I experiencing in this season of my life? What are the desires of my heart? I want to be a filthy, rich filmmaker. Okay, how is that working for you? Uh, tuition is really expensive at USC. It's not working really well right now. Um, or, gosh, I just got 100 grand. I've changed the way I want to use it. I want to make more documentaries and get people thinking about important things, right? Uh, what lies and excuses do I embrace? Everybody embraces lies. You, you embrace lies. I hate to tell you this, but you, you lie to yourself regularly. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. Oh, there I go again. I did that again. I'm not really that likable. I have a hard time with this. I'm done. They're lies, right? Now, to say I have a hard time dealing with life is not a lie. 
But to, lies are things that discount you and don't give you any place to go. And excuses do the same thing. Well, if only, well, I'm not rich like them. If I was only taller, smaller, thinner, fatter, stronger, weaker, older, younger. So what lies and excuses do I embrace? And how do they shape who I am? What do I value? Why do I value it? What do I need and what do I want? What makes me feel most alive and brings me joy? What issues move me? Those are self-awareness questions. Are you asking those questions? How about personal growth questions? Well, what do I know about my personality, my strengths, my skills, my interests? What is my learning style? Maybe you hate to read, and every talks about books you're reading, you feel dumb. Audible, listen to books. You don't need to read to be smart. You just need to take in content. What are my educational, vocational, cultural assets? What are my hopes, dreams, aspirations, fears, and regrets? So faith in God questions, self-awareness questions, personal growth questions. How about guide, life guide questions? Who are my role models and mentors? Who are my teammates? What kind of coaching, training, and preparation will I need to understand my mission? What decisions, commitments, and adjustments do I need to make to join God's mission in my church, in my local community, regionally and worldwide? It's all low-bar stuff. You just have to pay attention long enough to figure out where you want to do that. So what does this lead us? Well, it leads me to, to some affirmations and actions, right? The context is asking questions in the midst of my life, and the content is what I get by way of answers, full or partial answers, that lead me to make some affirmations. Okay, this is what I believe. And, some, and do some actions based on those affirmations, right? So a- a- affirmations, here's what I'm understanding, coupled with action is what a mission is. I believe some stuff, therefore I do some stuff. My affirmations, based on the questions I've been reading, are this. I'm a beloved child of God, saved by his love and grace to bear spiritual fruit. I'm on a joyful journey with God and people, blessed to bless others in his name. Blessed by God to bless others in his name. I know God is using everything in my life for his good purposes at work in me, even the crappy stuff, even the successes and the failures. It all counts for him. I know God um, is doing this, so therefore, I commit my priorities, my plans, my preparation to serving God's mission in the world. I want to figure out what that looks like. That leads me to these actions. Therefore, I will embrace my roles and responsibilities as a gift and a holy calling. Uh, this week, Janet and I became grandparents for the second time. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> our daughter called us up on, on Wednesday and said, we just found out uh, that somebody wants us to adopt their baby. By Friday, they were parents of a second child. Um, and it's a beautiful story of all how it all came. I mean, out of tragedy, out of, out of a, a sense of failure, comes something very beautiful and healing. Uh, and so they have this beautiful little boy, and Miles has a little brother. And so far, it's awesome. Day one, it's been great, you know. Day two, don't know quite exactly how that went. Um, so, okay, what does that mean for me? Well, it expands my role. It expands, expands my responsibilities. Naturally. He's now part of my mission. How do I love this kid as a grandfather? Another action. I will align my commitments with the values I see in God's word and character. I will reflect, explore, learn, grow, develop. I'll do stuff. I'll do the work. I'll make a little effort. 
uh, in developing skills to fulfill my life purpose. I will use every resource available to grow in godly wisdom and discernment. I will practice gratitude and generosity in time, talent, treasure, and network. So this week, uh, I, I, went, I, I wish I had time to tell you stories. A few people, different things, called me, hey, could you help? We're going to do this. We need this. We're trying to figure out that. What do you think? And um, it was weird. It was like God just gave me these connections that this person needed. You'll have a major blessing in San Diego, and I will be not even in that stream of, you know, I want to thank everybody. You don't need to. This guy just said, this is what we're doing at this big opportunity. We need some people who know how to do this. And I thought, oh my gosh, a guy that I ran into on the beach two months ago does exactly what they need. I'm thinking, this is so godlike, you know? And all I had to do was say, I'm like the guy at the door opening it. Go, oh, yeah, it's right in here. That's it. And that's, that was all the gratitude and generosity I had to spend in terms of a network. It was like a 10-minute conversation, and I thought, that was easy. I love being a missionary. <laughs> okay, so let me finish by this. Participating in God's mission shapes my identity and gives me purpose. Participating in God's mission, you, I, so many of you already doing this, is shaping your identity. You're a different person because of it. It's giving your life meaning and purpose. Take that with you wherever you go. Because the greatest adventure in life is being God's partner in his mission in the world. How are you living your mission in this season of your life? Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, my brothers and sisters, my family and friends, that we would be a people uh, committed to your mission, first and foremost, and that in that commitment, in that great adventure, we discover our own. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, that was an offering. You just gave an offering. You just offered yourself to the Lord. Uh, continue that. Uh, offer a prayer request on your way out. Offer an offering on your way out. Uh, offer your day to the Lord. Offer your career to the Lord. Offer your marriage, your family, your kids, your grandkids. Offer your fears to the Lord. Offer your hopes for the future to the Lord. Offer your biggest problems, your greatest successes. You see where this goes? So in the context of offering ourselves to the Lord, we praise him and worship him, and, and we find that our hands are open then to receive what he wants to put in them. We find that we have the courage and the conviction to offer others what he's put into our hands. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you as you continue your uh, offering to him one day at a time in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week. <laughs>